So yeah, today, I, as the video said, we're going to be kicking off our Faker Follower series based on Andy's book. Um, and I have the privilege of sharing around the topic of love out of context. Now, can I just tell you that of all the times that I've preached over the last, like, three years, love has been the topic about 80 to 90% of the time. And this has never been something that I've chosen for myself. It's always been like, okay, like here, here's the message guide for this month. And Emily, you're going to be preaching about love. And, and I'm like, again? <laughs> really? <laughs> I really have to preach about that again? Can we like switch? And sometimes I've done that. Um, but it was funny because I was kind of like, you know, complaining my head a little bit. And God is like, yeah, I'm going to have you preach about that until you have it down. And then I was like, okay, touche, God. <laughs> so let me just pray for us in this place where we go any further. Father God, God, I thank you for every person who's here today, Lord. And I thank you for what we're going to be talking about today. I thank you for your love, Father. And I pray that every heart would be open, Lord. You know exactly what each person needs to hear, not necessarily wants to hear, but needs to hear, Lord. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open every ear, you would open every heart, and that you would convict and challenge. And that even if it's just one sentence, that someone needs to hear, Father God, that it would sink down like a seed deeply planted into the soil of their heart, Father God, and that it would flourish, Lord, that we would be changed, Lord, from this day forward. We love you, Lord. So, love, 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 love. What an often written about, greatly celebrated, often misused and abused word right? It's probably, it's the topic that's been sung about the most, has the most, had the most songs, books, poems written about it. And yet, I feel like if you walk down the street or even just kind of sat down with 50 people who are sitting in this room, you would have exactly that many definitions, different definitions of what love looked like to that person. And I think that our culture's definition of love can become so ambiguous in today's context. It can become this kind of, you know, like lovey-dovey, mushy-mushy, feel-good, surface-level feeling, or it's also used as a weapon to manipulate someone into serving our own needs and our own desires. And I just want to say that if that last thing is something that you've experienced from someone, that I am sorry. I'm sorry if when you hear the word love, it sounds like a dirty word or it carries a baggage with it for you because of the way that someone misused it for you. I'm sorry. I believe that that very thing happens because we as a people have either forgotten or have just never been shown what true love is, who true love is. And it reminds me of this passage in Romans, Romans 1, where it says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things instead of the creator. Now, in this passage, it doesn't sound like he's talking about people who are far from God or who have never known him or had any idea about him. It's because it says they knew God, but they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. And to me, this sounds like believers, people who once believed, people who once knew him, but have actually forgotten their first love, Jesus, and have started to put in his place things or people. And I believe that this can happen to all of us, whether consciously or unconsciously. And it worship, really, or putting something in the place of Jesus, it really looks like giving anything in our lives more weight or more thought than we give to Jesus. It's anything whose opinion is given higher precedence than Jesus. It can be something as simple as, I think someone talked about this in 7 and 7, actually. I think it was maybe Jess. And she said, looking in the mirror, it can be looking in the mirror at yourself and saying, you're ugly. When God says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we are actually worshiping our own opinion over that of Jesus. So I was raised in what was a pretty conservative, black and white, Christian home and church in the Midwest. Um, And that meant that I grew up with pretty rigid parameters around what was okay and what was not okay. So what a follower of Jesus looked like and what that didn't and the types of things that they could or couldn't do that would disqualify them from holding that title. And I think that whether people consciously meant to project that attitude or not, there was very much a like us versus them sort of mentality that regarding the church and then the world outside. That was very prevalent through my time of growing up. And from what I gather from other friends who kind of grew up elsewhere, but during the same time, it seemed to be pretty typical um, of the attitude of many churches during that time, kind of like the 80s, 90s era, kind of that, like, we're all just holding on till the rapture, like, till Jesus takes us. So we're just going to stay here in these four walls and, like, worship God, but not go outside. And if someone happens to make it inside and they fit into, you know, like, they, they fit into our rules, then, you know, we'll accept them. Um, but we're just going to sit here and we won't be tainted by the sinful world and we'll just wait here for Jesus to come back and take us to heaven, right? The biblical command to be in the world and not of it almost seemed to take on this notion that though our physical bodies were temporarily on earth in the world, we weren't supposed to partake of anything that was happening in the world or even engage in it. So like engaging in politics, that was worldly. (laughs) Stewarding the environment we're only going to be here for a little, a short time anyway. Like, that's worldly. It's only temporary, right? Um, and then after I graduated high school, so I kind of, you know, grew up in that sort of mentality, not really realizing that there was anything else. Um, so I worked a couple of years after high school, and then I went to Bible college in Australia, and it was so different from the church world that I had known. Like, I didn't, I didn't sense that sense of legalism that I'd kind of just lived under for so long. And, and it was, to me, it was so freeing and it was so beautiful. And it was outside of anything that I'd ever really thought or known possible. And I be- began to realize that the world that I'd known had actually been pretty small and that not everyone who called themselves 
a follower of Jesus thought the way that the people I'd grown up around thought. And I, I believe that this did lead to more health and to more balance in my thinking, but somewhere along the way, I kind of began to develop this sense of permissiveness towards things that, at the end of the day, like weren't actually biblical or even helpful in faith, in my faith. And I've heard this actually echoed from several friends over the last couple of days. It's been coming up in conversation. Because I think that often a reaction to a legalistic environment, or at least an extreme, is to actually swing to the opposite ex- extreme of whatever you've experienced in your life. So for me, so to either like license or lawlessness, since my first extreme was legalism. Like when it came to drinking or like going too far with, you know, your significant other before marriage, I've seen those areas and other areas become very gray for people who may have experienced legalism in those same areas growing up. But I'm finding that putting love into either of those contexts, the context of legalism, performing basically to earn God's love, or perhaps performing to earn others' love, or license or lawlessness, using and abusing the grace and the kindness of God to satisfy our own desires, which is what it is at the end end of the day. It's actually taking love out of the only context or lens that God meant for us to see it through. And I love this quote from Andy's new book, Faker Follower. It says, the context of love is sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So that's John 15, 13. In our longing to love and be loved, we forget that love flows from heaven to earth first, not from earth to heaven. There is no greater love than love incarnate coming down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ to rescue us from destruction and restore all things, including our relationship with Father God. So in order to love in the way that Jesus has exemplified to us, we must know him. We must seek him, not just know about him, but we have to truly know him, to know his heart. Like it says in 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, when we were talking the other day, um, my friend Jen, who actually pastors Liberty Church in St. Pete, and she's actually preaching um, kind of off of the same topic this morning. So we were sort of, you know, comparing notes and going back and forth. And, um, and she was saying how the origin of the Hebrew word for love, ahava, means to give. 
So I dug a little bit deeper into it and I found this. The root of the Hebrew word for love is three letters. The letters Aleph, He, and Bet. Every Hebrew letter has a numerical value as well as a specific meaning. Aleph always stands for God and has a value of one. He means gives. Bet has the numerical value of two, meaning more than itself. Therefore, the essence of what love is, is when one gives to another other than himself. Giving is a godly act. At its heart, love has always been about sacrifice. They're inextricably entwined. You can't pull them apart. So when we love, we are giving the person we love what we have, right? So this, at its core, is a good thing, right? It's, it sounds like a good thing. But when you think about it, we can only give away something that we already have, right? So when we are seeking to know Jesus, when we are immersing himself in his word, in his word not only going through our eyeballs, but actually into the depths of our heart. When we love our natural outpouring, the thing that we give to others will be Jesus. But what about when that's not the case? What are we giving to our friends and our family? Are we giving them Jesus? Are we giving them that kind of sacrificial grace and truth kind of love? Or are we giving them a hodgepodge or mix of love that glorifies comfort and what we feel over heart transformation. Now remember, comfort is not the same thing as peace. Nowadays, I just, I feel that all over Instagram and Pinterest, I see these like self-care lists and things about how to treat ourselves well and the other self-care. Day, I saw a list, and the number one suggestion was, if it feels wrong, don't do it. <laughs> what? <laughs> there are going to be times when loving is uncomfortable for both people in the equation or all of the people in the equation. It's not comfortable to love someone who is hard to love. It's not comfortable to have a hard conversation with a friend who's making choices that are detrimental to them, right? It's not. It would be so much easier just to be like, girl, you're going to be okay. I'm here for you. Like, you're going to be okay. But if we're living from love, from Jesus, we know that love looks like sacrifice. And often, the thing that we are sacrificing is our comfort, So we've talked about how knowing Jesus is necessary to love from a place of sacrifice the way that he did. And I believe that in order to love that way, the way that Jesus did, we also need to know ourselves. We need to know the person that God has created us to be with our own tendencies and our own personalities and all of our flaws we need to know that so that we can truly love others and know what our tendencies are. So personally, I have the gift of mercy. So every, every spiritual gift test I've ever taken, I'm always like the mercy person, like Mavis. <laughs> We're like always the same in every personality test. She's basically like the beautiful 64. Ver- oh gosh, I hope I looked like you when I'm 64. <sighs> I really hope I do, Jesus. Okay. <sighs> 
So yeah, I always get mercy. And, um, and in the last year, I've also gotten into, it's called the Enneagram. It's a personality test that basically, Andy's laughing at me because I made her take it too. I was like, you need to know what yours is. Um, but it's basically like a very, very in-depth kind of way of identifying what your personality type is that dives very deep. It explores our deeper motivations, like why we do the things that we do. Um, and I think it really helps us to, to, be a better, to be a better follower of Jesus and lover of people. So I, on the Enneagram, am a nine, which is the peacemaker. <laughs> which, you're a nine? Yes! <laughs> but you're a pastor, so here, listen to me. Okay. <laughs> so, but that, the thing is, it's a good thing. So being a peacemaker, right, like, at surface level, that sounds like an amazing thing. And it, it, it is. It is, but when you are doing the work of understanding who you are, you also have to do the work of understanding what, like the opposites of your strengths and why the things that make you strong are also the things that can kind of trip you up if you aren't aware of it. And so that means for me, like on the negative side of my peacemaker-ness, I tend to avoid conflict because it's so awkward. I tend to sort of, you know, tiptoe around hard topics because I love when everyone's happy and when everyone's loving each other and everyone's perfect and it's just wonderful and no one's making me feel uncomfortable. And this also means that I have to rely extra heavily on God to help me have those hard conversations when I need to. I'm having to realize that truly loving looks like doing those things too. That I'm not actually fully loving someone if I'm not straight with them when needed and appropriate, right? Now, on the other hand, my husband is an Enneagram 8, which is the challenger. <laughs> so the challenger and the peacemaker. Huh. As you may be assuming, <laughs> he has no problem with conflict. He actually like kind of thrives on it. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> he loves having those hard conversations. Like, he loves, like, pushing people's buttons just to be like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to do if they do that. Now, what's funny is, like, so on the Enneagram, you have a wing, which is, like, your number to either side, and so then it affects, it changes the way you are. So he's, he's an eight-wing nine, which means that he's a nicer eight than other eights. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but, like I said, he loves having hard conversations. And so sometimes if he's not careful to remember kind of the way that he's naturally wired, he can err on the opposite side that I do and say something that, while it may be true, might not be couched in grace the way that he <laughs> intended it to be. I'm wondering which end of the spectrum are you finding yourself? Do you see yourself in any of these things? in any of the ways that you kind of approach conflict or approach relationships with people. Because I think it's imperative to know who we are. We need to know what our tendencies are because everything we do affects everyone around us. And as believers who are called, our actual calling is to live lives of love, it is especially crucial. We have to ask ourselves, where in my life am I taking and applying love out of context? Where should I be giving 
more grace, knowing this situation or knowing my own tendencies? Where should I be having more hard conversations? On the other side, knowing my own tendencies, coming from a place of love and desire for God's best for that person that I'm interacting with at the time. Now, you may be asking, what about situations that I don't see laid out in Scripture where it's just not so black and white? How do I know what loving looks like in my day-to-day and in every interaction? Is that even possible to know? Um, And I'm going to have the band come up actually now. Or just Allison or whatever you guys do now. (laughs) Allison. (laughs) And I believe that it is. I believe that in order for us to keep love in context, we have to remember that as believers, we have an advocate. We have the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 through 18 is one of my absolute favorite life scriptures because it breathes confidence into me when nothing else can. And it says, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit of God is living on the inside of you. He never leaves you for a moment. That is his actual promise. He is, he exists as the promise of God the Father left to us during our time on earth. And Jesus promised that he would lead us into all truth. So remember, we're not doing this journey alone. We have the Holy Spirit and we are surrounded by a community of believers who do as well. And this doesn't mean that we aren't going to get it wrong sometimes or we're not going to mess up or make mistakes because, you know, we're human. And the process of sanctification, of becoming like Jesus is lifelong. But the more time that you spend in his presence, the more time that you spend permeated by his word, being shaped and sharpened by friends and mentors who are also on that journey of following Jesus, the more your life and your love will start to look like him. To put love back into its God-intended context, we need to know Jesus, truly know Jesus. We need to understand who he's created us to be and everything that that entails. And then we have to remember that we have the Holy Spirit, that we're not on this journey alone. And when we're in that place of surrender, he will lead us, he will guide us, he will show us what love looks like so that we can walk it out in this world, so that we can be his hands and his feet to the world around us, his love to the world around us the way that he always intended for it to be. I want us to pray. Let's all close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, for your sacrificial love, Lord. We thank you for showing us the ultimate example of what true love looks like, the greatest sacrifice.
We repent for using this word love in a way that may have harmed others or harmed ourselves. We, per- we repent for performing, God, for your love or forcing others to perform for our love. Jesus, as we ask for insight into who you fashioned us to be and all our intricacies, we pray that your spirit would be with us and that we would have the ears to hear, that we would have the mind to know, Lord, and that we would have the heart to understand how to love those around us in the way that you love them, Lord, in a way that draws them close to you. I wanna speak to a group of people in this room who may have been listening to me talk about love and and you're kind of like, I don't, I don't think I've actually ever experienced that. That kind of sacrificial love, that extremely sacrificial love that Jesus has given to all of us freely. I don't think that's something that I've ever experienced. You may have heard about Jesus' sacrifice, about his death on a cross, but you never understood that he did that for you. You may have never understood that he walked to the cross and he gave his life for you so that you could have freedom, so that you could experience that kind of true love. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to open your heart to experience that kind of love today. If that's you in this place, I would love for you just to raise your hand and then I wanna pray with you. I would love to give you that opportunity in this place. If you haven't yet experienced the love of Jesus or perhaps it was something that you were exposed to and then you walked away and you just don't know what happened, his heart is for you. He is here, he is waiting and he loves you. There is no judgment in his eyes. He does not see you through a lens of shame or guilt. He sees you as covered by his blood by his forgiveness. If there's anyone here today, I would love to pray with you to receive the love of Jesus. Mm, That's good. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you created us and that you saw us You've seen us from the beginning, Father, that you've seen us through our highs and through our lows, Lord, and that through it all, you never gave up loving us. You never gave up hope, Father, that we would find our home in you, Lord. So I pray that today, Lord, that we would lean into your love in a new way, Father, and everything that that entails that if we're believers in here and we find that we've been living on one extreme or the other, Father, I pray that we would use you as our mile marker, Father God, as as our example, Father. That you, Jesus, would be our lens, Father God, through which we would see everyone around us, through through which we would act, Father. That you would give us strength to be strong when we need to, that you would give us grace to be gracious when the situation calls for it, Lord. God, that you would, we would search our hearts, 
that you would show us where we are, God, and that you would give us the courage to step forward, Father God, into a new beginning with you. We love you, Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.